Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 186. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. The house is still finally. I'm recording on a Sunday. The weekend was filled at the start with a bunch of giggly 13 and 14 year old girls. My daughter had a sleepover. It was eventful. But, you know, everyone's gone home now. The house is quiet. Uh, I've stopped twitching. That's a good thing. And I am ready to record. Hope things are going well with you. Uh, you know, less twitching. Unless you like twitching. You know, you do you, basically. I'm sitting here uh, with a lovely view of some pineapple decorations. My daughter's really big into pineapples. And, uh, and a Nerf gun. My son is big into Nerf guns. So, uh... Along with that and the plastic forks that are sitting here and uh, my Atari stuff, I am ready for just about anything that's going to happen. Including this guy. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Alright, well today as I'm recording it's August 11, and this is a big day, supposedly. Mad Mike is supposed to be launching his rocket today. Now, I have been poking around on the internet this morning prior to recording, trying to find anything about that having happened at this point. It's it's mid-morning as I'm recording. I can't find anything yet. I can find articles that talk about how it's going to happen today. Jim at Yingsy on Twitter sent me a link to an article about the launch happening today, which I had already seen. And then Jeff, 8-Bit Jeff, got into it, uh, the Twitter conversation and said, you're going to need to record a portion of next week's pod live tomorrow morning. But, you know, I'm sorry, Jeff, but I can't, like I said, I can't find anything that says that the launch has actually happened today. Now, I did see an article that said the launch was going to be filmed by the Science Channel for an upcoming TV special. So it may be that they're just not showing it. It is fairly early. I mean, like I said, it's mid-morning where I am, which I guess out in Nevada, which I think is where he's at, it would be even earlier. So uh, maybe it just hasn't happened yet as I'm recording. But uh, suffice to say, I don't have, as I'm recording, you can play a drinking game. Every time I say, as I'm recording, take a shot of your favorite morning alcohol. I just don't have any news. Now, if it is being filmed by the Science Channel, I would hope that if... You know, Mike gets up there, and he's like, holy crap, here's a picture of the Earth being flat. You know, the dragon at the edge of the Earth is waving at me. Here he is. I would hope the Science Channel wouldn't wait until December, or whenever the hell the special is supposed to be on TV, to say something about that. Um, I would hope they would release some sort of, some sort of a press release, maybe call, I was going to say, you know, call somebody in the Trump administration, but then that makes me giggle. Um, so I would hope they would call somebody, uh, and let them know, hey, you might want to see this. Okay, so the Science Channel is supposed to be filming this for an upcoming series, apparently, called Homemade Astronauts, according to this article on space.com. Hughes again will take off from a mobile platform, another unique aspect of this homebrewed launch setup. In 2018, he launched from the back of a motorhome that I bought off a Craigslist. He, he being Hughes, said, adding that this time he will launch on the back of a semi that was given to me. All right. 
Sunday's liftoff will take place thanks in funding from HUD, a casual dating and hookup app. Yes, really, according to a press release. Yeah, I saw that. Let's see if I can find that article. I think the headline for that article was something like being funded by a dating app to die or something. Let me see if I can find that. So the headline in this article on LiveScience.com, Flat Earther Mad Mike Hughes is being sponsored by a dating app to nearly get himself killed. Scheduled to launch on a steam-powered rocket on August 11, hopefully reaching heights of 5,000 feet, 1,500 meters, before parachuting safely back to the ground, welcoming Earth. Back to the round, welcoming Earth. Stunt is being sponsored by a commitment-free dating app and filmed as part of an upcoming Discovery Channel series. Okay, they say Discovery Channel. Is that That's different than the Science Channel, I think, right? So I don't know which is correct. Gives the 63-year-old rocketeer a chance to outdo himself following a successful yet bumpy do-it-yourself launch he completed in March of 2018. Here's a little summary of how that launch went. Will Hughes be able to see the curvature of the Earth from his mile-high vantage point, thus crushing his stated belief that our planet is shaped like a frisbee? Not unless the steam-powered contraption exceeds its reach by about sevenfold, carrying him 35,000 feet up. The goal of the stunt is not to prove roundness. Hughes has said before he'll need to soar past the Kármán line, the contested boundary where the sky ends and space begins, roughly 62 miles over Earth, to personally see our apparently latka-shaped planet from space with his own eyes. To do that, Hughes wants to build a rock, a raccoon, R-O-C-K-O-O-N, or rocket gas balloon hybrid, which he can use to float high into the atmosphere before lighting the rocket's fuse and blasting up even further. This Sunday's event puts him one small step closer to that ambition. Okay, so the launch that's supposed to be happening today, not going to prove the Earth is flat or round or even here, I guess. He's just going to shoot him up a mile up and he's going to parachute back to the ground. Now, not to understate the um, magnitude of that, it's bigger than anything I've done this weekend, including the sleepover that my kid had, but it's not going to prove anything other than perhaps that he's 63 and maybe shouldn't be doing that. So, yeah, I guess this launch is going to be on this TV special, TV series, later in the year, presumably later in the year. But even after today, as I'm recording, still, Earth will still be round, or our delusion will continue that it's round. So that article ended up not telling us a whole lot about this dating app. I want to know about that. Not that I'm going to be you know, looking for dates, but I want to know why this dating app is sponsoring him. Let's see. Um, I just, you can make up your own jokes about why a dating app would be sponsoring Mad Mike Hughes. Oh, by the way, that article takes me to, uh, links me to an article that says seven ways to prove the Earth is round without launching a satellite. Um, you can go to the harbor. When a ship sails towards the horizon, it doesn't just get smaller and smaller until it's not visible anymore. Instead, the hull seems to sink below the horizon first, then the mast. When ships return from sea, the sequence is reversed. First the mast, the mast then the hull seems to rise over the horizon. The ship and horizon observation is so self-evident that 1881's Zetetic Astronomy, the first modern flat earth test, devotes a chapter to debunk debunking it. But the debunking doesn't make much sense. There's nothing more about perspective, which just says that things are smaller over long distances, that should make the bottom of an object disappear before the top. You can also look at the stars. Aristotle figured that one out, and nothing's changed. Different constellations are visible from different latitudes. You can watch an eclipse. Uh, Aristotle, again, bolstered his belief in round Earth with the observation that during lunar eclipses, the Earth's shadow on the face of the sun is curved. Since the curved shape exists during all lunar eclipses, despite the fact that Earth is rotating, 
Aristotle correctly insinuated, uh, intuited from this curved shadow that the Earth is curvy all around. In other words, a sphere. You can climb a tree. You see farther if you go higher. If the Earth was flat, you'd be able to see the same distance no matter your elevation. Though the, curv the uh, curvature of the Earth limits our sight to about 3.1 miles. Unless you climb a tall tree, building, or mountain to get yourself uh, perspective from higher up. You can get a weather balloon. As long as your balloon has a payload of less than 4 pounds, there are hardly any restrictions on launching it. Call the Federal Aviation Administration ahead of time to make sure you're not headed into restricted airspace. And once the balloon's up there, you can see the planet's curves. You can compare shadows. Greek mathematician Eratosthenes, which I totally butchered, figured this one out. He compared the shadow, compared shadows cast on the day of the summer solstice in what is today Aswan, Egypt, with the nor more northerly city of Alexandria. At noon, when the sun was directly overhead in Aswan, there were no shadows. In Alexandria, a stick set in the ground cast a shadow. This uh, mathematician figured out that if you knew the angle of the shadow and the distance between the cities, you could calculate the circumference of the globe. On a flat earth, there wouldn't have been any difference between the length of the shadows. The sun's position would be the same relative to the ground. Only a globe-shaped planet explains why the sun's position should be different in two cities a few hundred miles apart. Alright, well, all those things would be a lot easier than parachuting out of a rocket, mad Mike, but I will grant you, that's way cooler. So, good luck to you, you know, safe travels. Tell the dragon I said hi. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's mad, Mac Hughes. Mad, Mac Hughes. Jeff on Twitter also had thoughts about Street Racer. Basically thanking me for being, you know, self-sacrificing and, and actually talking about this questionably good game. Or maybe not questionably. He said... By the way, thanks for slogging through Street Racer. I don't think I've played that chart since 1978, and I still don't plan on trying it, but Larry Kaplan certainly put a lot of variations into that chart. To which I responded that, yes, Larry Kaplan is a gosh darn hero. So, thanks Larry, and thanks Jeff. Alright, well let's get on to this week's game, which is not Street Racer. This week's game is Flash Gordon from 20th Century Fox, 1982. It's a one-player game using one joystick, the left one specifically. The game will not go as well if you use the right joystick. We got a cover with what appears to me to be the artwork from, uh, you know, based on the 1980, I think, movie. The cover says quite, you know, boldly says Flash Gordon 20th Century Fox Games of the Century. Pretty bold statement. Tilt the joystick to maneuver your rocket ship through the city's tunnels. Use the joystick button to shoot the enemy. Pretty straightforward. Many dedicated spacemen have entered Spider City but none has ever been heard from again. It is up to you, Flash Gordon, to rescue any surviving spacemen and to conquer this hideous city of tunnels. Spider City is conquered when all of its matching pods, hatching pods, are eliminated. It doesn't hurt to blast a few new, a few generators or enemy patrol ships while you're there. Okay, look, no, nothing against spacemen. I'm sure they're, you know, very competent, hardworking fellows, space people. But why are you sending spacemen to explore Spider City? Why don't you send Spider-Men? Not, you know, that, that's Spider-Space-Men. Not Spider-Man, the Marvel Comics character, because that would be uh, all sorts of intellectual property problems. But why don't you send dudes who know about spiders, not dudes who know about space? 
uh, for one thing, wearing those bulky spacesuits probably slows them down, so it's easier for the spiders to get them. I, I don't know. That's just me. I don't run the outfit, so, it, you know, it's above my pay grade, but it's just some ideas that I had. Anyway, the lower half of your screen shows a map of the city tunnels. The city is a closed system, so when you move through the passageways at either ed edge of the screen, your rocket ship will reappear at the opposite end of the map, side of the map. Your ship is represented on the map by a small horizontal line. The vertical lines on the map are hatching pods, which contains the spider warriors. The crosses represent disruptors. Now, we'll get into this more later, but you really don't have time to look at the map in this game. I'm just, you know, I'm reading a lot of stuff to you, but you're not going to have, you're not going to be looking at the map. But let's proceed. The upper portion of the screen is a close-up view of what's happening in the city. Your score is shown at the top of the screen. Each ship, extra ships, are displayed at the bottom of, and at the bottom left and in the bottom right corner, the number of cities conquered is shown. Scoring ranges from 10 points for debris up to 100 points for the first spider warrior shot from any hatching. You receive 200 points for the second, 300 for the third, and so on. You get a thousand point penalty for shooting a spaceman. Each time a city is conquered, an extra ship is awarded. Up to nine bonus ships can be shown on the screen at a time, although you may have even more than the nine in reserve. Bonus points are also awarded after conquering a city. You will receive 10 points for each spaceman rescued by the current ship, multiplied by the number of cities you have conquered. If a ship is destroyed before the end of any level, any bonus it has accumulated is lost. Your primary task is to destroy warriors. First you need to... Hold on. I, think the, I thought the primary task was to rescue spacemen. I'm very confused. It's kind of like life. What is your primary goal in life? Even this game can't tell you. First need to touch one of the hatching pods shown on the map with your rocket ship. This causes the pods to hatch, releasing the warriors. Why don't you just leave them in there? Wouldn't be, that be a lot easier to fulfill your spacemen rescue mission? But again, that's above my pay grade. Nobody asked me. The young warriors will try to flee, so you must shoot them, because there's nothing more honorable than shooting someone who's trying to flee. If you succeed in shooting the warriors from any hatching, you will absorb enough power to establish a temporary shield, which protects you from harm. When the shield is on, you can run, sorry, you can run into the enemy to destroy them. Two beeps will warn that the shield is about to disappear. Also, whenever a ship is destroyed, the replacement ship is given temporary shields. This gives you a chance to escape any tight situation you may find yourself in. Disruptors are represented on the map by large crosses and cannot be destroyed. Although you can see where a disruptor begins or ends, uh, although you cannot see the, uh, where they begin and end at the top portion of the screen, you sure can tell when you are in the middle of one. Find yourself surrounded by deadly debris. Avoid contact with the debris and try to get out of the disruptor as quickly as possible. Shooting one of the disruptor's generators will help you to escape safely. This temporarily freezes the disruptor so that you can continue on through the tunnel without being followed. Lone patrol ships in the tunnel are hazardous to your ship, should you accidentally collide with one. Shoot as many as you can. Part of your mission is to rescue spacemen who have been stranded in Spider City. To rescue a spaceman, touch him with your ship. Avoid shooting them. A true hero like Flash Gordon would never do a thing like that. The Flash Gordon gameplay gets more and more difficult as each new city is destroyed. Basically what happens is, there's not much happening. Ship. Spaceman. Spaceman. Spaceman ship, spaceman, and all of a sudden, everything just goes nuts, and the screen is filled with things to shoot. You can't advance while inside a disruptor. Up to 39 conquered cities can be displayed on the screen at once, 
although you can continue to rid the universe of spider warriors for as long as you wish. Hints from David Lubar. The key is to try to maintain shields at all times. Once you have shields, go to another hatching pod right away. You can use the shielded ship to quickly destroy the spider warriors. When the disruptors speed up at the higher levels, it is almost essential to shoot a generator in order to escape. Learn to use both displays. The city map is your only clue to where you are and to where the pods are. They give you, uh, in the manual here, they give you a handy little uh, chart you can fill in with your name, city's contoured, and your score. So that's nice. Under the heading Space Aces. Also available from Fox Video Games. Revenge of the Beefsteak Tomatoes. Crypts of Chaos. Turmoil. Fantastic Voyage. Megaforce. Alien. Beanie Bopper. World, uh, Worm War 1. Deadly Duck. And Fast Eddie. The only one I haven't, uh, I haven't heard of Fast Eddie. Or Crypts of Chaos. The other ones I've heard of, and some of them I've done on the show, or are coming up in future episodes. Uh, but yeah, I don't know anything about Fast Eddie or Crypts of Chaos. If anyone has any thoughts about these games, let me know. And that is how you play Flash Gordon. I keep wanting to do the Flash, uh, which is the only thing I remember from the movie. If you look up David Lubar on Wikipedia, what they tell you is he's an author of numerous books for teens. That's the first thing that they say. He's also an electronic game programmer who programmed Super Breakout for the N uh, Nintendo Game Boy and Frogger for both SNES and Game Boy. As a game designer, he designed the game Frogger 2, Swampy's Revenge, and for the Nintendo Game Boy Color. This guy has written a ton of books. I had no idea that he wrote uh, so many books, along with the, all these games. Fantastic Voyage, Worm War 1, Nexar, Flash Gordon, Space Master X7, Bumper, Bash, River Ray 2, and then games for a bunch of other systems as well. The Flash Gordon Wiki actually says that the game came out in 1983. Despite bearing the imagery on the label associated with the 1980 Flash Gordon movie, the game itself has little to do with the movie. It's actually an adaptation of Sirius Software's Spider City game for home computer systems of the early 80s. Atari HQ says, Maybe you've never fancied yourself to be a hero type, but admit it, you've always had a fetish to put on that whole outfit just so you could be cool. The action in the game is fast-paced, the details so-so, and the sound effects better than average. The essential difficulty lies in being able to watch both levels of play at once on the split screen. The most successful way is to keep a constant eye on the map from the beginning, since there are no other visual clues to your position given anywhere else. Not a bad movie-based game, except the people who drooled at the women, at the woman, forgot her name, won't get any action here. Unfortunately, it won't get any action here, unfortunately. And the cheesy title trash from the rock group Queen is unfortunately absent from this one as well. Maybe I do kind of remember that woman in the movie. I'm not sure. The movie that they're talking about is a 1980 superhero film based on King Features comic strip of the same name, created by Alex Raymond. The movie was directed by Mike Hodges and produced by Dino De Laurentiis and shot in Technicolor and Todd AO35, whatever that is, stars Sam J. Jones, Melody Anderson, Topol, Max von Sydow, Timothy Dalton, Brian Blessed, and Ornella Mult uh, Moody. The film was written, uh, co-written by Michael Allen and Lorenzo Semple Jr. Uses a camp style similar to 1960s TV series Batman in an attempt to appeal to fans of the original comics and serial films. It was a box office success in the UK, but performed badly everywhere else. It's notable for the soundtrack performed and produced by the rock band Queen with orchestral sections by Howard Blake. It has since gained, the movie has since gained a significant cult following. If anyone has any great love for the Flash Gordon movie, let me know. I watched it as a kid, I'm sure, but I, it did not leave a lasting impression. The Flash Gordon comic was originally drawn, uh, originally published January 7, 1934, inspired by and created to compete with the already established Buck Rogers. 
the latest version of Flash Gordon was a television series on the Sci-Fi Channel in 2007 and 2008. Essentially, you've got an athletic hero, his girlfriend, and a scientist traveling to a new planet by rocket, which is very similar to Buck Rogers, and Philip Wiley's novel, When, the World, when Worlds Collide, which was another inspiration. The strip followed the adventures of Flash Gordon, a handsome polo player and Yale University graduate, and his companions Dale Arden and Dr. Hans Zarkov. The story began with the Earth threatened by a collision with the planet Mongo. Dr. Zarkov invents a rocket ship to fly into space to stop the disaster, but then he kidnaps Flash and Dale and they travel to the planet. Landing on the planet and halting the collision, they come into conflict with Ming the Merciless, Mongo's evil ruler. Uh, the three companions have adventures on Mon Mongo for the next several years, trailing to the forest kingdom of Arborea, the ice kingdom of Phrygia, the jungle kingdom of Tropica, the undersea kingdom of the Sharkmen, and the flying city of Hawkmen. Flash and friends have returned to Earth and have some adventures before returning to Mongo and crashing in the kingdom of Tropica, etc., uh, etc. Et in the 50s, Flash became an astronaut, and on and on. Very exciting stuff. Taiko Waititi is making a Flash Gordon cartoon uh, for the modern age. He is responsible for reinventing the God of Thunder in Thor Ragnarok, and now he has set his sights on remaking Flash Gordon. This article doesn't uh, says there's no release date for Flash Gordon, uh, the new movie, but basically this is because Waititi has at least two other movies he's got to do first. I might watch that. Thor Ragnarok was kind of fun. You know what else is fun? The rest of this show. After the break, spider, spider in the game, have you no sense of shame? Don't you know here comes Flash Gordon? Let's hope the rest of the show causes no boredom. Flash Gordon was a comic book of the 1930s that various production companies have tried to revive over the years. That's all well and good, but I'm still waiting for my Blondie and Dagwood revival. Come on, producers. Alright, so we're playing Flash Gordon, not Blondie and Dagwood. Although, people like to do hacks and uh, homebrews and whatnot. So... I think uh, I think a Blondie and Dagwood Atari game is it's only a matter of time, so I'll be uh, monitoring Atari Age for that to show up. Not a lot of whoa. Not a lot of preamble. I know the little spaceman's getting away. I'm trying to get situated. Spaceman. A lot of empty space. Whoa. This game's interesting in that it starts off really slow. You know, ship, ship, spaceman, ship. And then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. I think I got shields now because I touched the cross. I don't know. Big time religious overtones there if you ask me. Spaceman. Oh, I just shot a spaceman. Sorry, spaceman. Oh, I started over the game, I guess. I already lost all my guys. Um, this might be the best-looking spaceship, Flash Gordon ship, that I've ever seen so far. And I just blew myself up in an Atari game. The spacemen, though, are my favorite part. They're just kind of like little gingerbread men floating out there. 
literally waving their arms. Hey, look at me! Ha! You thought you could get away, didn't you? Weird little space thing. I just don't quite understand what all these things are. Wow. It's all over in a fiery explosion. I think there's some debate whether or not in space, if you blew up, it would be a fiery explosion. That lack of oxygen thing. But, uh, but I'm still dead. So, why fight it? Alright, back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Card by Card podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, Very Short Stories Inspired by Old Games and Odd Thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about Flash Gordon. It's fun. It's too busy, though. I don't like the map at the bottom. I don't care about the map at the bottom. If, if the whole game was map at the bottom, we'd be complaining the graphics are really simple. But at least you would have one thing to look at. Or if the whole thing was just the space where things are coming at you and shooting at you, that'd be a sort of a standard video game, and you could have fun with that. Having the two things is too much, man. My brain can't handle it, man. It's not like that. I think I said in the field report, Flash's spaceship looks awesome. It might be the best rendered spaceship I've seen in an Atari game. I think the spacemen are hilarious. They're just little gingerbread men who I think literally wave at you as they're floating through space like, Hey! Hey, what about me? That's kind of cool. But yeah, everything else, the, the other ships and debris and things that you're shooting at are just sort of generic shapes that don't really look like anything, except the crosses. Uh, it's a cross. But it's it's a which is actually a disruptor, I guess. It's kind of hit and miss, literally, whether you get a shield or not. I never knew when a shield was going to be coming and how long it was going to last, so I don't like that. But I like the game better than I thought I would. A lot of these movie tie-in games are kind of meh. I think this one has potential that it doesn't ever quite live up to. But I would happily play more Atari games with Flash Gordon's ship that looks like that because it's very cool looking. I want, in fact, what I want is a little, um, like a, not a Matchbox car, but like a Matchbox car die-cast metal thing of the ship as it looks in the game, because that's pretty cool. Uh, but the game itself, uh, I, I can do without. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story Story, story, story time! With Bill! This week's story is titled, Why Does Everyone Keep Flashing Gordon? Gordon didn't know what was happening, but it was amazing. The men and women around him were going about their business. That dude was selling hot dogs out of a cart. 
There was a woman over there tending to a sick koala bear through the bay windows of a luxury townhouse. Gordon could see two women baking cookies while a dude in a chef's hat and luxuriant mustache looked on. It was all very ordinary midday stuff in Gordon's world. But then, as Gordon watched the goings-on, a delivery man marched by, said good day, and dropped his pants. The delivery man's package fell front and center. Lovely afternoon, isn't it? The man said and kept walking. Uh, Gordon muttered and averted his eyes. A dark-haired woman standing next to the open hood of a red Mustang wiped her hands on her overalls and waved Gordon over. Hello, the woman said in a nausea accent. The engine's gone a bit wonky. Tires are flat, but the electrical's all kaput, she sighed. Could you check my headlights? Then she stripped down to nothing, which is really not advised when working so close to a hot engine. I think I left a screwdriver over there somewhere. Stunned and unsure where else to look, Gordon followed the woman's bum as she walked away to find it. What in the world? Why was everyone flashing Gordon? Hey, kid, a deep, gruff voice called. Mr. McGillicuddy ran the meat shop across the street from the auto body shop, which Gordon was keen to get away from. He was a kindly old gent with a bark worse than his bite. In the window today, though, pork links weren't the only sausages on display in the front window, but they were definitely the freshest. Ew, Gordon groaned and ran down the street. As he ran, the hot dog vendor waved his wares for all to see. Gordon had to jump into the street for safety as the veterinarian rode by, Lady Godiva style, barebacked on a white stallion. The bakers from the townhouse shoved their cupcakes in Gordon's face, and the baker dude found a new place to hang a chef's hat. Ah, I gotta get out of here, Gordon screamed. Rounding a corner, Gordon bumped into Officer Maggie, the town cop. Why in such a hurry? Officer Maggie asked. You won't believe this, Gordon said. All these people keep flashing me. Really now, Officer Maggie said, incredulous. Let's go check this out, shall we? Gordon and Officer Maggie returned to the town square. The mechanic, the vet, the hot dog vendor, Mr. McGillicuddy, they were all fully clothed. Everyone, just doing what they do, when they're not getting naked. Officer Maggie put hands on hips and said to the town citizens, Excuse me, but no one responded. She cleared her throat and tried again, a little louder. Still no response. Try flashing your badge, Gordon said. Officer Maggie flashed them all right, and you won't believe where the badge was. Gordon ran, sprinting through the town. All along the way, he was met with flesh, much of which was not really meant to be seen in the light of day. Earl the stable boy at the ranch, Marsha the accountant, for whom the sum of her parts added up to big-time nudity. Randy the baseball player who kept his balls in a sack. Usually. All productive citizens of the town, and all fully nude. Gordon sat back to consider what he'd seen today. A little smile crept across his features. He had to admit, he kind of liked it. Was that wrong? Was he evil for liking to see all of them naked? He really didn't know. Gordon's sister Gretchen was more certain. Mom! Gretchen shrieked. Gordon took all the clothes off my dolls again. Tell him to stop. Ten-year-old Gordon sprinted from his little sister's bedroom to go find other mischief to get into. Maybe he could knock down his brother Glenn's Lego buildings. He just blamed Gretchen for it. And one day, far in the future, that ten-year-old boy would grow up to be President of the United States.
And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes update theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers. And the nice thing is, you don't have to be wearing any clothes. So, without posting any photos, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review of this show. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. And now, don't forget, you can call us and leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978. Please, please, do not ask me what I'm wearing. Um, but if you'd like to offer what you're wearing, uh, you know what? You do you. Please consider supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page or by picking up shirts and mugs in the AB underscore pod underscore store on Zazzle.com. Check out the new website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com for all sorts of info and links to this show, to my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, to books I've written, all sorts of stuff, all in one place. Holy crap, isn't technology wonderful? Thanks, uh, as always, to the Patreons, patrons participating in the Patreon project, Michael Tyler and G-Ray Defender. You guys rock. I say this every week, and it's really going to happen soon. There are changes coming to the Patreon project. So if you're thinking about jumping on board, now's a good time to do it. Hey, hey, do you guys love Snoopy? Do you know someone who does? Uh, how about Charlie Brown, Schroeder, Linus, Lucy, Peppermint Patty, Marcy? Uh, well, we talk about all those people on my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. New episodes of that show drop every month on the 15th, and we cover all sorts of things uh, over there. The TV specials, the comic strip, the movies, the merchandise, the mind of Charles Schultz himself, related projects. We've had authors. We've had playwrights. We even had a dude, in keeping with the theme of this week's short story on this show, we even had a dude who drew uh, a a graphic novel called Weapon Brown, imagining the Peants characters as adults in this sort of dystopian world. And yes, many of them appear naked. So we do it all over there at It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. Go check out that show. Tell your Snoopy-loving friends to go check out that show. Next time on Atari Bytes, we're going to play the questionably spelled Wizard of War, war being spelled W-O-R, and my, you know, my proper spelling uh, grammar side of me is twitching already. Uh, I don't even like to use... uh, you know, shortcuts on text messages. So hopefully I can get through that game without uh, becoming, you know, ill or anything. Let's find out next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.